Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. The Circle Pad Pro. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. And Curly Whirlies for as long as your arm. And we're discussing our all-time <laughs> top 100 video games. Woo! This week we have our number 52s, but uh, before we do that... It's time to stick two fingers up to Jamie Oliver and serve up a lovely plate of turkey Quizzlers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> oh, I, I, I like that. <laughs> the score is currently 25 to 20 in favour of Chris. Oh. He's worked out a heck of a lead. That is a big lead. So here we go. When playing the original Halo... What multiplayer option was not available to players? A. Split screen. B. Co-op campaign. C. Xbox Live. D. Local Ethernet. Xbox Live. Oh my, that is so close. But the point has to go to Minty. Hooray. Congratulations, Minty. Well done. You've clawed one back. Yeah. Well done. Well done. So, what have we been playing this week? Minty. So, I, I, I picked up uh, Saints Row the Third in the January eShop sale. Ah. And I'm having a really great time just carving into the Syndicate's criminal operations in Steelport. Yeah, I, I really love Saints Row as a series. I think it's just really fun, really gleeful, destructive fun. Does Saints Row the Third have the kind of uh, almost like superhero powers, or was that not until the fourth one? No, that's the fourth one because okay. the fourth one is set in a simulation because the Earth was destroyed by aliens. <laughs> Fair enough. I played the first game that when it came to the 360. I think I beat it like 100%, hmm. but that was very much they were just like a straight up copy of GTA. Yes. yes. Uh, and then it found a lot of its own sort of voice and character I think by the second one which I then never played so I'm I'm miles behind on this series but I know everyone says it got better and better as opposed to worse and worse absolutely yes yes <laughs> which which is the trajectory you hope games take yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely uh, what have you been playing Chris I've played a few things like I know it's been a little while since we've recorded one of these properly and I've probably played loads of stuff in that time but there's, there's three sort of shorter games that I've beaten just in the last week that I wanted to mention because so far 2020 has been all killer no filler for me <laughs> In some very very good games firstly i played uh, lego builders journey lovely game it's very very nice and it's kind of it squeaked its way onto the apple arcade lineup quite late last year because the releases have kind of trickled down now they've got like a core like library i suppose but it's it's a really gorgeous short spatial puzzle game that uses like the inherent tactility of lego bricks to create a game that i think fits the brand better than almost any of the games released to date by traveler's tales And I think a big part of that is because Lego games these days rely more on the idea of sort of compressing recognisable characters and franchises down to minifigures than being about building in particular. Yeah. Whereas this game sort of bucks that trend by foregrounding just the act of putting pieces together. Like each sort of isometric stage that you play on, you're just helping a figure sort of navigate from one side to the other by placing little sort of Lego stepping stones. And at first that's as easy as just like lifting them up, putting them down sort of like almost like a walking rhythm. But further along, you're starting to think about like the verticality of the stage, manipulating pieces to kind of uh, make a sort of walkway to, to ensure safe passage. And it's just really, really nice. Like it's not a hard game, but I think it's it's a really touching game about connection, both in like a tactile sense, because 
like I said, I, I don't think it's ever felt this good to put virtual Lego bricks together. Yeah. But also because the story, it's got you know a bit of emotional weight to it as well that's, that's quite nice. And it also, I, I think it honestly features some of the best graphics I think I've ever seen. <laughs> like it, it uses a combination of kind of like the tilt shift effect that Link's Awakening did in that remake with the kind of pseudo stop frame animation style that you see in the Lego movie itself. And it just looks gorgeous. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. I think the haptic feedback of uh, the iPhone and playing it on that, I mean, it meant that it felt so lovely to yeah. actually to play it, to talking about that sense of connection. And I think that's one of the reasons why it actually felt so nice to play it because, yeah. you know, you really felt like you were putting these Lego blocks together, which in, in obviously like the Lego traveler's tales games you're just just throwing them together and blah 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 blah, blah. and it's you lose that sense of that tactile sense mm. of what it feels like to actually build and play as a child i mean i'm a sucker for any father-son relationship thing <laughs> so yeah. I, i'm i'm not ashamed to say that i wept at the end <laughs> and it, it was beautiful yeah. absolutely beautiful i think it, it perfectly captured that sense of that childlike sense of 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 building and like that interaction with a parent and stuff and just oh no i'm gonna go now no. <laughs> i mean i'm not even joking <laughs> by by contrast for something very very different i played um a short platform game on the eShop called just love it's just called love one word and it's it's a really punishing almost like meat boy sort of experience but it's got a really interesting gimmick in that it's very short it's only 16 stages in like the main sort of campaign all of them are very very quick but it allows you to set your own checkpoints wherever you want as you move along and what's quite nice is like the first time i played through it i found myself like putting down a checkpoint basically before and after every single tough obstacle in the same way like you might do with like quick saving on old pc first person shooters oh yeah but then once once you finish you get told okay you this is your like scorecard essentially for the run and, and you're ranked, like you get a, a letter grade that's like a C or a D or whatever. And the first go through, I got like a D minus, which I assume is the worst you can get. <laughs> and over the course of the week, I just played it religiously until I got up to the highest, which is like an A++. Nice. By just thinking about, okay, where, where am I losing lives? Where am I using these respawn points that I don't need to? How can I make my completion time quicker? And it's, it's really, really addictive. Like it's only a few quid, but for that kind of experience... Something like Super Meat Boy is great, but it's big and it becomes the type of thing that as it gets harder and harder, it would stress me out because there is a lot of game to get through. Yeah. Whereas this for being much, much shorter, I think my final run when I got that A++ was about 12, 13 minutes for the whole game. And I felt like that's something I could actually commit a bit of time to getting better at and, and sort of enjoyed that that experience. And then lastly, a game that I, you might have played, Jonathan, I'm not sure, but I don't think we've talked about it before. Uh, I played through the really, really lovely The Gardens Between. I have not played this. I think it's on on like iOS devices, but it's on the Switch now as well. And it's a puzzle game that you guide two characters around sort of rotating dioramas. But the sort of core mechanic is that your analog stick doesn't control the characters directly, like moving left and right, but rather they have sort of a, a predecided path and predecided actions. And by moving the analog stick, you're you're almost like scrubbing backwards and forwards over a tape head. So if you do nothing, everything just remains still. And then as you nudge forwards, time progresses normally, or if you nudge it backwards, it kind of rewinds. To begin with, you're basically just, say, like picking up an item further up you know, the little diorama, rewinding back to deposit it somewhere else, and then that one locks something at the top. But by the game's end, you're having to consider more about how kind of other elements are interacting in the background that you can kind of see as, as you're moving along, how you can avoid obstacles despite not having direct control by sort of manipulating bits and pieces and other characters within the world. And also like playing with force perspective, you know, thinking about how you, you change what, what a platform is doing by, by the approach you're taking and the, the angle you're looking at it from. And it's really kind of 
tricksy. There's lots of these like little little clever bits that that are put to put to play in it, and it can be really hard, tough to get your head around this idea that you're not moving a character initially, but very quickly it becomes really exciting. It's clever and and it is unique, uh, and I think it stands up really well alongside other sort of like time manipulation games like something like Braid, because it, it uses it in a very different way. Plus, it's just got a really lovely art style, like like Lego as well, with a sweet story. So yeah, my, my three games of 2020 so far are all absolute bangers. Lovely. What about you, Jonathan? What about you? Dark Souls 3. Oh. I have almost got to the end of it now. I think I've just got boss of the area I'm on to do, which I'm just about to do, an Arch Dragon Peak. And I believe I'm just at the doorstep of the boss of the Grand Archives, which is then, I think, the last area before I go to uh, the kiln of the first flame, I believe, probably, and, uh, and, and, and defeat the final, final boss. So, yes, yeah, so I've got a, a run of three bosses to go until I, until I, um, until I beat the game. But, I, I mean, I must say, it, it is an absolute fucking outstanding game. I mean, my God, just just incredible i really really appreciated the sense of design that's in the game in terms of the way that the game is 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 constructed and the level design because it is something that really really impressed me in in dark souls the first dark souls game only when i then played dark souls 2 and realized that it didn't have miyazaki as the director and that same sense of design wasn't there at all and all of a sudden i was very aware of actually what made the level design work and what didn't and Having that in the forefront of my mind as I was playing Dark Souls 3 just made me appreciate that so much. Just those kind of subtle things that guide you down the right path that, I mean, it's almost like subliminal, like the way that light is, is working or the way that directions enemies are coming from and things that just subtly kind of guide you in the right direction with also retaining that sense that you are lost and alone. So it doesn't feel like your hand's being held. It's just just extraordinary design to do that on that bigger scale. And uh, yeah, it's just been a superb experience. My experience in playing a Souls-like game kind of goes in different phases. Like I start the game and think, oh God, I can't, I can't do this again. This is just so, <laughs> oh, it's too, it's too hard. It's too much. And then once I sort of break the back of it, I'm just like, this is the most amazing thing. What I've got to queue up like two, three games after this to play, you know, it's just so good. And then I get to this point and I'm thinking, my, my God, I'm tired. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I need some cats to quest or something uh, to sort of cleanse the palate a little bit. So, uh, yeah, but I've just had the most wonderful time and, and like uh, the first game and like Bloodborne and like Sekiro, all of which would be in my top 100 easy, uh, if not like pretty much all of them in my top 20. So, yeah, and that was on the PS4. My Switch kind of lay dormant for quite a while whilst that was occupying my mind, but I did end up playing through Hotline Miami. Oh, mm. that's good. Again, an incredibly hard game that I kind of broke the back of a little bit last night and just, just played through all of it whilst watching uh, MasterChef Australia. <laughs> the perfect companion piece, isn't it? You wouldn't have thought it, but there it is, yeah. And I, and I had a brilliant time with that. It is so good. It's so sharp, just so precise. And oh, I just, yeah really satisfying really fun it had that same sort of satisfying gameplay loop as dark souls where it's just mm. like no, again die again die again die again try 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 get through it amazing and uh yeah because because i've got it as part of hotline miami collection i've got the second one queued up uh, ready to play next lovely and i'm looking forward to it so should we move on to the rankings yeah let's do it starting this week we have 
Minty. Oh, great. Can you please tell us about your 50-second favourite video game of all time? I certainly can. In every form of media, in every artisanal discipline, there are masterpieces. Cultural icons that, while in some cases may be slightly dated in terms of visuals and technique, uh, they not only withstand the test of time, but age with a grace and poise that many of us can only dream of. Citizen Kane. Ulysses. The Waldorf Salad. (laughs) (laughs) The leap from 2D to 3D not only brought about huge leaps in visuals, or at least made things nicely blocky instead of nicely pixelated, but the power of consoles allowed there to be more scope for an even greater development of story, sweeping narratives and character development that we began to see developers touch on with games like Super Metroid and Final Fantasy VI. This game that I'm talking about today uh, was the first video game that I was ever legitimately excited for. I'd started reading uh, gaming magazines and it seemed like everybody was on tender hooks waiting for this game to drop. Every issue had a new feature, a new screenshot, a new interview to get us hyped. Electronics Boutique was extremely excited with their coming soon sticker use on their display boxes. <laughs> so you turn on the TV and you'd be greeted by a weirdly sexist advert asking if you'll get the girl or play like one. Oh my. Full <laughs> ass off its time. Yeah. And then the reviews started pouring in, you know, 10 out of 10, 97%, best game ever, nothing will top this, etc, etc. It's the Ocarina of Time. Oh, wow. There it is. Yeah. So much to Chris's bemusement, Jonathan and I are absolute fiends when it comes to completing a game and trading it in. I can't speak for Jonathan, but for me, uh, it's because I live in a flat that's basically just a gussied up shoebox, and my bookcase has basically been commandeered by my intelligent wife. This this ruthlessness has meant that, yes, uh, a playthrough nowadays can be seen as uh, ephemeral before being taken out back to a nice video game store and shot (laughs) after a few weeks and a thundering 30 hours or so but it also means that not being able to get a game on release day has become a thing of the past especially since the significant financial barrier has been diminished somewhat with trading credit and that said i didn't get ocarina of time for a few months after it was released and despite colin miles being dedicated to it the only thing i distinctly remember being anywhere close to spoiled for me about the game was that puzzle in the second dungeon dodongo's cavern where you have to bomb the eye holes in the big skull because everybody was like, what does it mean? What does seeing red mean? I don't understand. I can't beat this game. I hate it. <laughs> but while it seemed like every publication between them had the whole game mapped down to the minutest detail, the, the sense of scale, the sheer amount of life in this game was unlike anything that had come before it, which I think was partly attributed to the little particle effects in the Kakiri forest. Oh, yeah. You'd walk through and they'd go, oh, little sparkles on the screen. A uh, little worm made of light goes over there a fairy is here and here is some water lovely (laughs) really lovely there was the hour in gut punch of the game's antagonist killing your tree dad your new family up in the mountains your soggy wife (laughs) unsheathing the legendary master swords and getting put in stasis until you got pubes finding out your tree (laughs) oh my finding out that tree dad wasn't really your dad at all Helping your mountain nephew rescue his family from a big hot snake. Never actually marrying your wife. 
screaming for the entire time I played through the bottom of the well in the Shadow Temple. Because <laughs> I was scared of the zombies and the mummies. Killing Ganondorf's mum. The smallest hint of political intrigue and a vaguely fleshed out Ganondorf that isn't just a massive evil pig. <laughs> An epic story for the ages that was just so captivating, sprinkled with lore that deepened the mythos of Hyrule and gave you a greater appreciation for the cyclical eternity of the struggles of the three heroes of the Triforce that must endure for the sake of us and for the coffers of Nintendo. <laughs> so just like Super Mario 64 last time, it was one of those games which, uh, whether it was because of my age when I played it or because it was such a groundbreaking and timeless game, had that glorious newness to it that comes along so, so rarely. So rarely, in fact, that we won't hear about another game that uh, that instilled that feeling in me for uh, another week, I think. <laughs> Ocarina of Time. Great game. It is a great game indeed. I've certainly heard it was. Yeah. <laughs> You'd love it. You'd love it, Chris. It's a great game. Oh, no. Did you play the port on the 3DS? I did. I think that it was uh, absolutely incredible port it's absolutely brilliant and uh, made the game uh, a lot better i think yes mm. yes i agree as well how long is ocarina of time do you think for a first playthrough Ooh, i don't know 20 hours mm. yeah i'd say 30 35 40 40 45 50 70 <laughs> <laughs> just gonna look it up on how long to beat yeah let me know and then then maybe maybe i'll play it it reckons 25 hours Okay. Huh. They reckons or completionist is 37 and a half. Oh, I could I could try a new year, a new year mission. Get the 3DS out, dust it off. Well, thank you for that Minty. It's an absolute huge game and one that would top I uh, have seen top many top 100 lists before. It is in at place number 52 for you. And uh, and, and and there we go. Moving on, we have my game. Oh, go on then. So, following on from last week, talking about Metroid Zero Mission, this is my second Game Boy Advance game in a row. Oh, wow. I know. And it is also a sequel, well, a second sequel to a game that's already featured on my list. Okay. Uh-huh. I remember when I bought this game, it was a toss-up between getting this or Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I went for Harry Potter uh, and instantly regretted it. Uh, I think it was probably the first time I bought like a movie tie-in game, and I, I, I mean, I really was surprised at how pedestrian and boring it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and I mean, they really thought they could just churn out like a, the most basic of game, slap a movie banner on it, and go give us your money. And I, I mean, it really worked because because I because I did that. Fortunately, I was able to take it back into Woolworths and quite honestly say, I, I really don't like this. Can I please get something else? And, <laughs> no. and the, 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 I know the cashier said, um, that's not how shops work, sir. No, he didn't. He said, he said, yeah, sure, why not? And that enabled me to buy Wario Land 4. Ooh, Ooh. Great. So, as you know from me talking about it a few weeks ago, I was already a huge fan of Wario Land 2. And for me, this game stepped everything up i mean it's just so much on every level it had beautiful full color graphics presented on the game boy advance's lovely widescreen i mean there was even full vocals on like the fantastic j-pop style soundtrack uh, which was i mean an absolute technical marvel on on the handheld and, and one that probably didn't get the, sort of the credit it deserved at the time no i think it did i mean the setup of the game is i mean it's a fairly familiar platform game setup 
So there are a series of levels. In each one, you have to locate four treasure chests in addition to a sentient flying key that will allow you to trigger the portal to take you back out of the level. Uh, but triggering this this button, which took the form of a, of a lovely little blue frog sat with his mouth gaping wide open, it then turned the level on its head as a countdown timer started. Hurry up! And certain <laughs> frog blocks throughout the level. <laughs> I was going to ask you to do the voice. <laughs> so once this countdown timer started, uh, then certain uh, frog blocks uh, throughout the level would either appear or disappear, which would... T- totally changed the route you had to use to get back to the level's entry point which is how you then get back out of the level i mean what followed was just a mad dash to escape the level uh, before you were just entirely consumed by well just i mean to be honest just sheer anxiety i mean in terms of the individual mechanics of the game wario can move in a lot of different ways which is I mean, quite surprising, uh, given his predilection for the porkier of the pies. <laughs> uh, but surprisingly agile. He can do, uh, like, a dash charge. He can pick up and throw objects or enemies. He can curl up into a ball and roll through small gaps. Also exhibit his trademark butt-stomp ground pound. And each of these mechanics also had, like, a supercharged version of them that would, would trigger once they'd been running for long enough. I think it's probably the best way of describing it. So you could dash in a straight line for as long as you took to hit something. But if you managed to sort of find a whole screen's worth of dashing time, you would turn supersonic yellow uh, and would then be able to bash through harder blocks and and that sort of thing. Uh, and this is where Warrior's more puzzle platform mechanics came into play rather than his alter ego's straight up platforming ways, which actually kind of lent a, a, a sort of a suitably Metroidvania-esque-ness to the exploration in some of the levels oh, if you wanted you to go hunt- again with your castle roids <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're really playing up and if you wanted to hunt down all of the secrets and all of the treasures in a level then you know you really had to kind of be uh, creative in how you were using those abilities and it also featured the uh, transubstantiational abilities that Wario was afflicted by in Wario Land 2, such as being turned into a zombie or turning into a giant fireball, becoming a floating bee-stung balloon or a frozen sliding curling stone. All of these things that gave more options than how to find secrets in a level and another layer of puzzling to the game design. It meant that, I mean, like I said, you really had to think very carefully about how you use these abilities if you wanted to to access all of the secrets and, and hunt down everything. It was just great. Also, one of the nice things about the structure of the game was that it wasn't actually that linear in the way that a Mario game would be, you know, World 1, Level 1, World 1, Level 2, World 2, Level 1, blah, blah, blah. Uh, instead, there were these four main worlds to explore, each with a handful of levels each and, and a boss at the end. But you could do these in any order that you wanted. It meant that if you ever got stuck on a particular level, you could pop it down for a bit and go and try another level or go looking for a treasure chest that you may have missed somewhere else. And this was incredibly freeing and well, fun, to be honest. And, and there were also multiple endings you could get as well. So in order to fight the bosses, you needed to have found all of the treasure chests in the levels in its world for it to open up. And the boss fights were equally as intense as the escape sections at the end of levels because the boss fights were also against the clock. I mean, whilst the bosses were quite large and intimidating, uh, I mean, not to mention beautifully designed and animated, they weren't actually a huge challenge, which meant that your enemy really was uh, the clock rather than the boss. Although actually one of the bosses was a giant clock. So that boss was the clock and the boss. (laughs) I don't really know how to think about that, to be honest. 
Um, and there was always the threat of losing treasure hanging over your head for a boss fight because there were three treasure chests suspended in the background and they would disappear at intervals if you were taking too long on the boss. So even if you were able to scrape through in the time limit, there was always a reason to go back and try and do it better. So I just want to highlight a couple of my favourite levels. So there was a domino level, which was absolutely brilliant. There were basically lines of dominoes running in the background and you would jump on like a a trigger and then you would have to race the line of dominoes as they fell down in order for you to then get through a certain bit in time. It's just really fun. And, you know, similar to games we've talked about before, like Ori and the Blind Forest and like Super Mario Odyssey, you would see where you kind of wanted to get to and then you'd have to figure out what mechanics you needed to to utilize in order to get there and when you pulled it off it's just yeah really satisfying and that was particularly so on the domino level where there were just so many of these elements working together it's just brilliant and one of the other favorite levels just in terms of game design was the the final level where you start the level coming out of this little portal and you land straight on the frog timer uh, so just immediately the pressure was on and you didn't know where you needed to get to because usually if you'd hit the frog timer you knew you had to get back to the beginning so you kind of knew roughly what the lay of the land was this time you were just thrown in timer on no idea where you had to go what you needed to do you just had to get there fast and that was just <laughs> really really fun And because of how just enjoyable this game was to play, I had no problem in replaying levels just over and over again to search every nook and cranny so I could find everything that the designers had hidden about the levels. I used to take this... Well, it's probably unsurprising. I used to take this to the extreme by not only obtaining all of the rewards for scoring the highest scores but i would work out like statistically what the highest score was for the (laughs) levels that you could possibly get (laughs) and work out exactly how to achieve that like even down to things like so if you ground pounded around certain enemies they would change their color which changed their attack movements and also change how much treasure they spilled out upon killing them so it meant that i had to sort of go through and work out which ones to ground pound where to then kill them to get the most treasure and i mean i i I mean i literally rinsed this game for every single penny i could squeeze out of it it's also the only game i've ever written a guide to because uh, i noticed on game faqs that there wasn't a walkthrough for the hard mode that was in the game and so um, i i did that it, it, unfortunately it doesn't appear to be online anymore because i did have a little quick google for it which is a shame but to be honest it was probably taken down for just being unbearably obnoxious <laughs> What I, what I find quite sad, in a way, is that if the technology that was available now yeah. was available when, when you were the age you were playing this game, yeah. you would absolutely currently be at Awesome Games Done Quick <laughs> doing a speed run of Warrior Level yeah. 4. Uh, and, and it's You're only because right. we're all a little bit older and, and we're approaching these games from a, from a different angle, or in that case, from a time when that sort of stuff didn't really exist. You never had the experience of being a pro speedrunner because I, th- I think you I know. you would absolutely have had the skills for a game like this or Monkey Ball back in your prime. I, I would like to agree with that, yeah. uh, and I shall. I do agree with that. <laughs> and uh, but there we go, there we go. These um, this this twisted tale that we call life. When I spoke about WarioWare a few months back, I said that I was initially disappointed that Nintendo had diverted from this game, Wario Wario Land Four, as a continuation of Wario's gaming legacy. But Nintendo did actually return to this sort of traditional Wario Land setup uh, and also used the graphical assets of Wario Land 4 uh, several years later with, uh, I think over here it was called Wario Land Shake Dimension, but I think it was also called Wario Land Shake It 
yeah. uh, on the Wii. I mean, as with most games on the Wii, it crowbarred motion controls into a game that really didn't feel like it was designed for that. And for me, it was just incredibly disappointing. It didn't have the same magic that Warrior 4 had. Although I was really hoping that it, it might have received like a port to the 3DS and then normal controls would have been returned to it. But alas, it wasn't. And we haven't seen another Warrior Land game since. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would love to see Warrior Land 5 or even new Super Wario Brothers game featuring <laughs> Wario and Waluigi oh. developed for the Switch, which I think would be fantastic. And it would be a really good opportunity to, uh, to reopen that lane of the franchise. But um, until then, fortunately, uh, Wario Land 4 holds up incredibly well and is really worth hunting down to play uh, if you can find it. And uh, yeah, remains one of my all-time favourite platforming experiences and is my 52nd favourite video game of all time. Nice one. I've got it on my 3DS because of the Ambassadors program. But I played through one level and that that timer when you hit the frog, oh, I, could, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just too much. What what uh what noise does he make, Jonathan? Hurry up! <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of a new Wario game with Waluigi as well. Mm. I've been thinking about Waluigi a lot recently because <laughs> your wife has been away. Yeah, yeah. If he had his own game, like what would what would his thing be? Like Wario, he's he was he started off sort of you know immortal, and you could do things to him, like turn him into fire or a or fat with a cake. <laughs> if there was a new Wario Brothers game, I feel like because Waluigi was introduced sort of in, in the sports games, it'd be cool if he was a secondary game mode where you had to try and beat the level by cheating as much as you could. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Wouldn't that be fun? It would be That good. would be fun. A lot of potential uh, game design there. So Nintendo, uh, if you're listening, if you're listening, of course you're listening, Take note. Chris, can you please tell us about your 52nd favourite video game of all time? Okay, buckle up, everyone. For this is a game that I'm, I'm almost convinced neither of you will have played or heard of. And in, indeed, many people listening, but we'll see. Because it is, it's a spiritual successor to an ancient arcade game that, again, I don't know if anyone really came across. And it was released exclusively for a handheld that almost no one in the world bothered buying. <laughs> It's a game called TXK, and it's a weird Vita-exclusive tube shooter based on 1981's Tempest. Oh, yeah! <laughs> oh, that one! Oh, that one! That one, that game! <laughs> it's, it's so good, and it's, it's so annoying that no one, no one have played it. No one. I mean, to make any sense of it, this, this is going to be a bit of like a history lesson to begin with. But I, I would implore like anyone listening to at least check some gameplay footage to see what it is I'm talking about, just so it anchors this in some sort of semi-tangible reality. I mean, going right back, like I said, it's, it's a pseudo-sequel to the 1981 arcade game called Tempest. And that was a pseudo 3D shoot-em-up where your craft essentially moves along the edge of like a wireframe shape that then extends into the distance. So the easiest way to kind of imagine it is if you kind of like put a toilet roll tube up to your eye, it's like your ship is moving along the ring closest to your eye and enemies are coming towards you from the ring furthest away from your eye, like in the tube as it were does that make sense <laughs> i'm watching a video right now and it, that is exactly what it is yeah there you go so so that works what you do then is either move left and right across this shape 
uh, and using your your kind of gun, you're you're pushing back hordes of enemies with your with your lasers, avoiding approaching projectiles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it's a very basic arcade game, and it's a very hard game, but it's kept fresh by the the idea that each stage, like the tube shape, changes. So in the arcade, it's like you'd start on kind of a wobbly line, then it would be kind of like more of a, a sort of cube, or, or they change as you go. So so you'd have new challenges each stage. Now, fast forward a few years, and a developer called Jeff Minter worked with Atari to try and modernize Tempest. He created a version of the game called Tempest 2000, which came out for the Atari Jaguar, a console that no one in the world owned, and the Sega Saturn, which a few people owned, but still not very many. (laughs) And that was later ported as well as the PS1 under the name Tempest X3. But all of them essentially followed that same toilet roll design that the arcade game had. But this time it had sort of additional enemies, scoring opportunities, uh, power-ups, and all of them had like a a thumping, techno-inspired visual and audio aesthetic. And these versions are all really great. Like I've played the Saturn and PlayStation 1 game. Naturally, I haven't played the Jaguar port because there's only about eight units of the console in the world. My friend had a Jaguar. Did he? Yeah. His, um, his dad was a, uh, a, a dustbin man and he found it at the tip. <laughs> <laughs> that says a lot about the, uh, the fortunes of that console. Yeah. I mean, releasing on these platforms and at that time, the, the games were good, but they, they really struggled as a result of coming alongside, essentially, Final Fantasy VII would launch less than a year after Tempest on the PS1. And, and that kind of split between where games were going and how games were changing was starting to leave behind this idea of like the arcade game. Like arcades themselves were dying like on, on seafronts because home consoles were getting more powerful. And, and home consoles, people just expected very different things. So it did kind of averagely well at the time, but, but no one really thought much of it. Fast forward another 10 or so years and Jeff Minter went back and revisited the same formula again, like the Tempest formula, with a 360 release called Space Giraffe. And I think this is even less well-known than TXK is. And for me, it's it's almost unplayable because it relies so much on intense visualisation around what you're doing that it it obfuscates so much of the game itself that you, you cannot see what is going on. That maybe that is a logical progression, essentially from sort of the techno aesthetic of Tempest 2000 and 3K, but it never clicked with me because it felt like I was just having an LSD trip as opposed to actually playing a video game. It was so hard to kind of make sense of what I was supposed to be doing. I just it never clicked. After another kind of decade in the wilderness, Jeff Minter came back again. This time, again, essentially revisiting the same format, uh, but with TXK on the Vita, uh, a handheld that I love and that no one else did. And whilst it's very clearly from the same lineage it kind of got rid of a lot of the intensity that Space Giraffe had, made the scoring and gameplay mechanics much less oblique, so you could actually get a handle on what you were supposed to be doing and how to get better. And it just really focused on being a brilliant arcade game in the vein of Tempest that was readable and learnable and just really enjoyable. And playing it, it still feels trippy because it's got this kind of uh, thumping soundtrack. It's, it's got kind of spacey neon visuals, but it's trippy in a way that you still feel like you have control over. And whereas I couldn't navigate Space Giraffe at all, when I picked up TXK, it made sense, and it was actually a game I got reasonably good at. I mean, because it's a handheld game, I've always loved how well handheld games kind of link to memories of time and place, just because they are portable and they go with you places. Yeah. So, like, I remember playing Bubble Bobble, the original one, my original Game Boy, uh, when I had, like, a family visit down to Bournemouth. I remember playing, like, Apt, because you've mentioned it today, Warrior Land 2 on the Game Boy Color, standing, like, at the sidelines of one of my brother's football matches when I was younger. <laughs> I, I was supposed to be paying attention, but I just wanted to play Wario. <laughs> I remember playing Zookeeper on the DS uh, in the school music department, like, in a free period in, in sixth form. Amazing. And then I 
remember really vividly playing TXK for the entire trip to Venice <laughs> for a study trip I did during my teacher training. Yeah. Like I remember playing it on a flight. I remember playing it every time I had downtime in the evenings. It was just, I was absolutely hooked for that week. I remember having this just week of intense culture in the daytime walking around Venice. And then at the same time, having this this week of intense score chasing, playing TXK on the Vita each evening. And it's a game that really works from having such a singular focus. And that's that's why these games couldn't really exist that well alongside things like Final Fantasy, because at, at that time, everyone wanted something more out of a home console game that wasn't just about getting a high score. But it, it gives you something to aim for and kind of, you know, plays with your reaction times and your awareness in a way that, that most modern games just don't. Uh, and, and I really like games that, that still have this, this kind of arcade sensibility built into them because the more you play it, the more I, I found I could sort of read audio and visual cues to kind of say what, what was happening, impending dangers, scoring opportunities. How, and you get a feel for kind of the subtleties of movement and control that you can't possibly have when you're just playing it in the background. Like it's a game that needs that sort of focus. And especially like when I was playing it with headphones on that plane journey to Venice, it felt like I was entering the Matrix. Like it, it's got such a such a specific sort of visual style that you really do feel like you're plugged in and, and you're kind of just flying ever forwards. And I think the only thing that would really improve this this kind of intense gaming singularity... VR. Yeah, is if, if this game was released for VR platforms. And Jeff Minter did produce a game for PlayStation VR called Polybius that very much feels like an extension of what he was doing in TXK, but it loses some of the kind of razor focus the handheld game has. And it strays a bit closer to that kind of visual assault of Space Giraffe again. So I, I do really like it. It's a very good game, but I don't like it anywhere near as much as, as TXK, which I, I genuinely think is a totally unsung modern arcade experience. And by virtue of that, it is my 52nd favorite video game of all time. Fantastic. I mean, I've been doing just a little bit of research on it um, whilst uh, whilst you've been talking about it, and it, I mean, it does look absolutely incredible. I mean, it certainly looks right up your street. And, uh... <laughs> that's that's another one of those bits of like damning praise, isn't it? <laughs> well, it certainly looks like something you'd enjoy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Interestingly, I was just reading some uh, little highlights of some reviews for Space Giraffe, yeah, and. Uh, I mean, it really sort of uh, divided critics. I mean, people obviously had a, a big sort of respect for uh, for Minter, but also were like, this game is ridiculous. <laughs> With like reviews saying like, holy crap, this is awesome, hell yes, to like, this is annoying and pointless. In fact, one of the reviews said, Jeff, we love you. We just don't love Space Giraffe. <laughs> but my favorite one is, uh, uh, so there's a veteran video game journalist called Stuart Campbell. Yeah. And he describes Space Giraffe as one of the best games released this year at any price. But he also used the first letter of each paragraph to spell out the phrase Minter is a big twatty spacker. <laughs> Which is horrendously offensive. <laughs> it's of its time. This was only ten years ago. Oh, it's it's yeah. <laughs> um, before discrimination was bad. Before ableism was a thing. Gosh. Well, there we go. TXK. Thanks for that. Uh, another one I can look out for. <laughs> yep. And certainly play every day. So there we have it. Another three games. First of all, we had... Ocarina of Time. Before then, we had... Wario Land 4. And then, finally, we had... Tango X-Ray Kilo. Marvellous. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do like and subscribe, leave us a review, share it on social media, share it with your friends. If you've got anything you'd like to say to us, tell us what your 50 second favourite video game of all time 
is you can do that you can find us on facebook if you search for our three cents or you can reach out to us individually you can find me on twitter at jonathan dunn you can find me at Chaz underscore hodges and i am clement underscore boo and please do join us next week where we will be telling you all about our 51st favorite video games hurry up hurry up hurry up, hurry up.